0: I want to review here with us, and I want us to make some kind of personal review here about the 23rd Psalm. So if you were there, I want to read it for us again. So please follow along here, if you will, in the 23rd Psalm. And this is our topic again, the with God life, to review it. And when I mean review, I don't mean like, okay, here's the principles of it, the points. I want us to review it from a personal standpoint, about my life, my life with God. Does it look anything like this? Does it have any of these features? So I'll read here 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So when we look at this and we've worked through it, I'd like for us to kind of do a review. And this is really in the form of questions, and I want to just work through it here. It's on your outline, number one, here on this reviewing, if you will. Am I relating to the shepherd in a personal way? Am I re- they're the word there. Remember, look, it says right there, the Lord is who, who, Whose shepherd? My, my. And I, I, just, I just want to remind us again as we review this and try to finish it out. Is am I relating to the shepherd in a personal way? Uh, that may take different forms uh, with all of us, uh, but it means that I am responding and relating to God as a person, not a principle, not an idea, not a force, not a concept, but a person who is walking and living my life. I've told you before, and I, I, I said to a friend of mine one time, we were having breakfast, and I said, I, I think sometimes that I respond more to the propositions of the gospel what it declares that, you know, the kingdom of God is here and, and Jesus has come to save us. I sometimes respond to the propositions of the gospel more than I do the person of the gospel. I, I have all those ideas in my head. I believe them. I, I talk about them. I even teach them. But sometimes I wonder if I'm responding to the propositions of the gospel as related to the person of, of the gospel, where I might slow down and stop and say, wait a minute, there's a person here that uh, is, uh, I'm relating to and responding to. So I just want to ask you to consider that as we review it, as we think about it. Am I relating to the shepherd in a personal way? And that may take different forms for you. It may affect your prayer life, the way you talk to God in prayer, the way you respond in life. So that's the first thing. Number two, or B, am I accepting pause as a part of this life? Uh, We talked a good deal about this, and if you want to listen to the recordings, you can. But he says, he makes me lie down. Um, I've been reading several books lately, and it seems like there's a theme that seems to be kind of coming around, is that Christians who are living in the freedom of Jesus Christ... Are often breaking a fundamental principle or a fundamental fact about life. It's called Sabbath. Jesus said, Remember, the Sabbath wasn't created for man, or man wasn't created for the Sabbath. Sabbath was created for us and to our own demise and to our own uh, uh, failure, if you will, when we don't pause. When we don't have time, when we withdraw and get away and lie down in a green pasture or if you lie down in your living room, wherever it is. But to have some kind of time drawing away from the hectic life. I I still love this. I I remind you of this. Remember, what day were human beings created on in the creation account? The sixth day. Mm -hmm. So the first full day of human existence was what? The Sabbath. The first full day of human existence. Human beings are born on the sixth day or created on the sixth day. The first full day that human beings experience is Sabbath. There's something here. There's something here. So are we living in that sense of pause where we are not frenetic and frantic and just constantly going? Then the third thing, and we've been on this one for a while. Do I look to the shepherd for provision? Do I, do I look to the shepherd... For provision, you'll notice here it says, and we we've looked at that. He makes he makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He guides me. We've worked through all of that. Uh, for his namesake, he uh, uh, even though I walk through the shadow of valley, shadow of death, I do not fear because your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my life. So all, all of these provisions, um, Becky will say to me sometimes. You know, I, I get a little nervous. I, I don't know if you ever noticed that. Uh, I get a little uptight about things. And Becky will constantly say to me at different times, which kind of offends me because I'm the theologian in the house, right? Um, she'll, she'll say to me, Cliff, we'll, 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 we'll do this, but we've got to trust God to be our provider, right? I will tell you this, though. I, the struggle I have and maybe you have is this. I think one of the, the perennial struggles of the Christian life with this shepherd is me determining what's my part and what's his part. Anybody ever have to face that? Did did I, okay, does it mean that I just lay around and just wait for God to do something? Or do I have some part? I'll just tell you, uh, that's a perennial problem for me. I I, I tend to jump on my part pretty fast and then get anxious and worried and uptight and forget that God has a part in this. So am I living in his provision? where God is the provider. Now, he's given you gifts and abilities and brains and, and skills, and, you know, we should use those. But determining what's my part and what's his part. I, I just want to refer you to something here this provision. Uh, if you've got your Bible open still, go to, the, go to your table of contents. That's where all those books are listed. You paid for all those pages. Use them. Go to the Gospel of Mark here real quick. I just want to call your attention to something that you already know. 950 in my Bible. Mark chapter 4, where Jesus, I think, is referring to some of this uh, matter about provision. Mark chapter 4, beginning where Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower, again, about this idea this shepherd provides. Notice, notice what Jesus says in Matthew four eighteen and 19. This other soil, these are the ones the seed was sown upon among thorns. And these are the ones who have the word. they have, Or they've heard the word. But what happens? The worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. You and I live in a world that we worry. We have some concerns. You know, What's my part? I told Becky the other day... Um, I, I just could not look at my 401k plan this month. <laughs> I just said to her, I want to go find it all and bury it in the backyard. You know, probably not a good idea. Uh, but I know when that begins to happen in me, when I begin to think it's all on me, that that's when I'm not living in the shepherd's provision. When when I'm not, when I'm not saying, okay, okay, Cliff, do the best you can. You know, you have some smart people do this for you. But but he's going to provide for you. Does anybody ever struggle with that besides me? Yeah. We have a lesson on lying here in just a minute. so. Yeah, yeah. All extroverts are going, me, 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 me. I have it the worst. I have it the worst. Um, but, but that idea where the struggle is when it's all on me. But he says he'll provide. He'll, he'll make me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And so this provision, if you will, as we look at this. Now, uh, I want to ask you to look at this here on this other provision. Here we go. Anoint my head with oil. That's where we are. Now, I have to tell you, um, uh, just in my mind, and that's where I have to live uh, occasionally. In verse 5... in verse 5, where it starts here, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and thank you, Miriam, for sharing her testimony of how God had done that for her. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, and surely goodness and mercy or goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord. I don't know. I, I, I've got in my notes here where I, where I, where I just said, I, I'm not sure if David now is changing gears. Talk about a table. Don't normally think of a table... With respect to sheep, they eat off the ground, you know, like your grandkids. And uh, uh, you don't normally think of a table sheep, although I told you last time the word table can mean mesa, the idea of a flat area for sheep. But there, there's this, in my mind at least, there maybe is this shift where Paul is now, not Paul, uh, I, I teach Romans every day, uh, where, where David is moving from shepherd to his own life or people. I'm going to try to work both of them here and try to ask you to consider this. He said, he anoints my head with oil. Now, there's a couple of uh, possibilities here. As we relate this, you may know that oil in the ancient world was used for medicine. If you go read the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, he pours wine and oil in the wounds. Um, It's it's, uh, understood for refreshment. Uh, the idea of putting oil on your skin, your head, uh, because of uh, the dry, arid climate. Uh, so th- there, there's a long history here of how it's used, and then we'll also look at sheep. Uh, I've been am- amused or amazed or interested, in. Uh, I can't tell you the number of people I meet now who uh, tell me that the cure for my allergies, my uh, arthritis, or skin problems are essential oils. Anybody heard of that? Yeah, I'm waiting for the essential oil flu serum. Um, If anybody knows about that, let me know, okay? Don't want the shot, want the essential oil. But there really is a long history with this, isn't there? People are finding help. They're finding uh, relief uh, by using essential oils. And so what does this mean in terms of provision? What does this mean in terms of provision? Well, let me ask you to consider with sheep, what it might mean. With sheep, um, anointing the head of sheep is a pretty common uh, activity. Now, sheep are uh, have all kinds of uh, enemies: uh, wild animals, bears, wolves, tigers, uh, all those things. And uh, uh, but there are also some other other enemies or problems they face uh, that you may you may or may not know. And I want to be careful here because we're going to lunch today. Um, But there are flies and different small animals that uh, get after a sheep. Uh, It's called the nasal fly. So again, we're going to lunch, so I'll be careful. Um, Warble flies. These uh, flies have a tendency to fly. Fly? Okay, yeah. That's deep, isn't it? (laughs) Um, They they fly around the sheep, and what they do is they will make an entrance into the sheep's nose. I'm going to try to be careful. Anybody eating a donut right now? <coughs> Finish it. No. Uh, they will fly up into the sheep's uh, nose and lay eggs. And then this uh, terrible, terrible thing begins to happen to the sheep. Is they make their way up into the sheep's head. And as they do, uh, it becomes a severe irritation. Uh, to where the sheep are often seen as hitting their head against rocks or things like that, because it's such an irritation. Now, the antidote to this is a a linseed oil with a couple of other ingredients that the shepherd smears on the the, uh, head and the front face of the animal. Uh, This uh, enables the sheep to be able to keep these uh, uh, aggravations and these irritations gone. When I think about this, I'm thinking about, you know, when you think about a sheep that's in danger, a bear, a wolf, or like that, but what about a fly? That doesn't seem very dramatic, but yet the shepherd knows that with these uh, irritants and with these uh, little, uh, if you will, animals, uh, there could be the death of the sheep, where they literally beat their own brains out for that. And so David says, if this is relating to sheep, if it is relating to sheep, it's a protection. It's a matter of protecting against small things. He certainly, the shepherd is certainly protecting them against bears and wolves and lions. But what about these small irritants? What about these things that really create problems for the sheep? When I was reading that, I kept thinking, Cliff, what are some of the small things in your life that sometimes, if you don't pay attention to them, can really become a problem? I don't know if you ever think like that or consider that sometimes it's not those dramatic things that happen all the time, It's sometimes a very small matter that occurs. So what is it that's flitting around in your mind or around your heart or in your life? Something that's irritating, aggravating, it just seems like at the point, but needs to be dealt with by the shepherd. I I wrote a couple of things down here, but does that make sense? You know, it it isn't always the dramatic things. I've talked to couples over the years, and... uh, we, we discuss things, and sometimes uh, their, their marriage ends. And I'll, I'll say to them, what happened? Sometimes people can say there was this dramatic, huge event that happened, uh, point back to the day and time. But a lot of times people will say this when I ask them that. I, I don't know. I don't know. There, so what do you mean you don't know? I don't know. Something we just began to drift apart. We began to not share the same interest, or we began to have things go on. And, and there's no thing to really identify. It's not one thing. It's, not, it's a bunch of little things that begin to happen. And this shepherd knows that about his sheep. I wonder, do we know that about ourselves? I wonder, do we know that sometimes there are, are small things, things that don't seem so big and dramatic, that have the tendency or have the capacity to perhaps create some real problems. We were talking with a couple the other night, and uh, I, I explained to them, I said, you know, Becky and I have been married 30, nearly 39 years. Uh, she's been happily married 26 of them, and, uh, you know, it's that, not bad. But I will tell you one thing, and I tell my students all the time this, and, and Becky is, is, has, you know, pursued this relentlessly. Uh, throughout our marriage, uh, she she told me when we were dating, she read read a book uh, uh, at one point and she said this, Cliff, I will never, ever speak ill of you in public. Now, she's got a lot of material to work with. So, you know, <laughs> we know that, uh, you know, um, uh, but she said this. I'll never put you down. I mean, we laugh and cut up. I mean, but it, it's obvious what's going on here. And I've thought about that because I've been with other couples and been in their relationship and seen the destruction that that little thing happens to do. Whether it's a guy putting his wife down in public or a guy putting his wife down in public, I wish you looked more like her, you know, and she would say, well, I wish you looked more like him, you know, uh, that, that it seems small, huh? You know, you're just, you're just kind of barking and yapping at each other. Big deal. Big deal. It seems small. I, I've just told Becky over the years. I mean, she's talked to me pretty straight a few times at the house. You know, when she says me, I need to talk to you about something. I go, I'm busy. <laughs> I got something else to do. I think somebody needs me. The bat, you know, the bat signal is up right now. I got to go. Um, so, I mean, she's been honest with me and she's been willing to tell me the truth, but never in public. And never in some kind of demeaning kind of way. What, what about those small things that we don't pay a lot of attention I, I, I've thought about this. I, I, and again, this is just me. You don't have to, uh, thoughts and opinions. This teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions across community church, it's elders or leadership. Um, I, I've thought about also small things sometimes. Um, what about sometimes some of the small things that we watch things, either in television or a movie? that we are completely contrary to. I mean, we don't believe that. We don't think that's the right way to live. Now, you're saying, well, Cliff, what are we going to do? You know, pull our teeth? I don't know. I, You know, just watch football <laughs> or soccer. That'll put you to sleep fast. <laughs> I want a soccer game that's 32 to 31. By the way, oh, I didn't think about it. Our soccer team uh, at Mid-America just won the uh, NAIA championship here, and the Sooner Athletic. We're going to nationals. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I don't understand the game, but it's really great. <laughs> I don't. I think what somebody tried to explain hockey to me one time. I said, "Forget it. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it." I need eleven guys on this side pushing, and eleven guys on this side. I, I got that. But but little things. It, I, it, you know, I remember one time I was watching a movie, and I, I'm not trying to be legalistic here. I'm just trying to get you to think about. That there might be small things at times. I remember watching a movie one time. And as I'm watching it, it's funny, it's goofy, it's relaxing, and those are fun. Uh, And as I'm watching it, I just had a sense the Spirit say to me, Do you agree with that? And I go, Nope. Do you think that's really funny? It's not really. It really is sad. Then what are you doing watching it? I don't know. I just, I think sometimes the little things that seem to be small maybe have an effect on us. So I'm just asking you to consider those gnats, those things that fly in, those small things that we sometimes have a tendency to not deal with. Are they things that are going to really become a problem later? And so David says here, he anoints my head with oil. He he protects me from those kind of small things. Now let me let me go here to people here on people. That's why I say anointing, as it relates to people, has a has a great history. Um. Anointing, as you might remember or know in the Bible, is uh, often related to um, uh, somebody being picked out for specific activity, like a king or a prophet. This is why I'm wondering, is David talking about sheep, or when he starts talking about a table and anointing their head and a cup, notice that. See, there's a table, there's anointing, and there's a cup. That overflows, and I think, is, is this a sheep, or is this a person? Is this is this uh, God saying, "Look, um, I'm anointing you, David. Your head—that's that, he, hes thinking about when he became king, or when God picked him out for a particular service. Maybe it is. I don't know. I, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just trying to think this through. The, the imagery seems to change so dramatically to me. Table, table, anointing, and cup." Is something going on here. So, so this idea of, of, of being anointed with oil for some task, for, for some activity or some duty that God had for him. In David's case, it certainly was that he was king. There's another feature in this though. We, we may feel like, you know, that, but I will tell you first John uh, chapter 3 says that every follower of Jesus is anointed. Every follower of Jesus. It says you all have an anointing from God. You're all set apart. You're all identified. You're all, you're all selected. 1 John chapter 2. That, that you all, we all have an anointing from God. So that we're able to be understood is that God's placed us in positions and situations where we can be used and we can be of service. There's another one that's fascinating to me. And that is anointing the head was also an expression of welcome. It was always an expression of welcome. And when David says, you anoint my head, okay, if it's a sheep, maybe it's protecting. If it's with people, maybe it's identifying for a task or an activity. Or is it welcome? Uh, I'll just draw your attention to this if you want to go look at it later. But in Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, one of the great stories that Jesus told about, um, he went to this uh, uh, Simon's house, and this woman came and washed his feet. It's a, it's a great story. But, but Jesus makes a statement in Luke 7, 46. He says this, When I came to your house, you didn't wash my feet, or you didn't greet me with a kiss, or anoint my head with oil. What does that mean? Welcome. Jesus said, "Go read Luke 7, 746. He said, you didn't give me a kiss. You didn't wash my feet. And you didn't anoint my head with oil. What is this with people? It's welcome. It's welcome. I I wonder about you or me. And I've I've had this this, uh, same idea over different occasions. Do we have any sense that God is welcoming us? As we live this with God life. Welcoming us. Glad we're there. Wanting us to be there. He anoints. When when, when somebody came to your house, you anointed their head. It helped them to deal with the dust and the travel and all the stuff you had to deal with on the trip. It was something that indicated you welcomed them. That you wanted them there. And I just wonder, is David again changing the imagery from table... See, that's the food to anointing. And we're going to get to cup here in just a minute. That he's saying, this is the kind of relationship or welcome that God wants for you. You know, some of us, I think, maybe think God kind of puts up with us. He doesn't really welcome us. Have you you ever been to somebody's house where you came in, but you didn't feel that welcome? You know, you're there. But you really didn't didn't feel that welcome. You know, this idea of welcoming. I'd like for you to think about that word. I'd like for you to think, do you believe that God welcomes you? He's glad you're there. In fact, he's interested that you're there. And he wants you to know that he's welcomed you to his place. I don't know. I, I don't think of those words sometimes when I think of my relationship with God. I sometimes think of them as work. You know, i got some work to do, or I've got something to accomplish. But I don't often think of the word welcome when I think of relationship with God. It's a little similar. When I was 37 years old, I talked to my dad one time and was discussing some things about our relationship. And I asked him, just point blank, I said, Dad, I need to ask something from you. Do you like me? He said, do I have to answer that now? No. (laughs) I mean, in theory, I knew he loved me because he was my dad, right? It kind of comes with the territory. I wanted to know, do you like me? That's a different thing, isn't it? And and we talked, and he said he did, and I was glad to hear that. (laughs) How about God? Does he like you? Is he welcoming to you? Does he anoint your head with oil to say, welcome to my house? We're going to see that right at the end, where we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, Doug? One of the things I struggle with is not whether he likes me, but whether my actions determine if he likes me or not. Yeah, good question. Uh, For the recording, um, I think we're recording, aren't we? We had some trouble with it the other day. Um, Doug's asking the question whether or not... uh, God loves him, or whether or not God's love is dependent on Doug's action. Yeah. Uh, certainly the short answer to that is no, our action does not determine it. Romans 5, 8, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Just at the right time, he says, when we were weak. Go back and read that Romans 8, uh, Romans 5, uh, starting at uh, verse 8. He said, it, when we were weak, astheneia means that, that word means we didn't have any power. Couldn't change the circumstance or situation. When we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Well, one will hardly die, Paul says, for a righteous person, Though may, uh, for, for an ungodly person. Maybe for a righteous person, someone died. But while we were yet sinners, so here we go, got ungodly, sinners, Christ died for us. The third the third word Paul, uh, Paul uses is enemies. We were enemies of his. And so our behavior doesn't determine his love or action. That's a crazy idea if you think about it. I mean, I mean that, that that's just, I mean, come on. Well, we don't really have anything to gauge that by, you know, because all love seems to be at different times, if you will, conditional. Although I tell you, Becky said to me years ago, she said to me, and, and I believed her, I said, she said, Cliff, I will never leave you no matter what you do. Now I, she hadn't lived with me very long, so you know. <laughs> rejoined her on that. But I know what she meant. You know, short of me hurting her or putting her in danger or something like that, that'd be different, you know, to just get away from me. But that kind of notion that my love for or her love for me is not dependent on my behavior and my action. That's a hard question though, isn't it? Because we don't think that's necessarily true. We think our action creates his love. It doesn't Look here again, this other one. Overflowing cup, my cup. Over, this again is the provision. Am I living in the provision? Now in the ancient world, um, uh, banquets were places of real celebration, and I'm just going to hurry through this because I got to get to the imagery here. Um, but he says here, what does it mean? My my cup overflows. You ever been to a restaurant where a waiter or waitress? kind of bothers you. (laughs) I've been to a couple of them where, you know, I like unsweetened iced tea with sweet and low. I don't mind growing a third eye. And, uh, you know, I'm going to risk it. And so I get my tea just the way I want it, right? And it's about a third down, and then the waiter to here, let me fill it up. No, don't fill that up. I had it just like I wanted it. Now I've got to go back and do the figuring. How much sweet and low... (laughs) How much? Yeah, you probably don't want to go out to dinner with me. <laughs> uh, how much sweetenough? What, what's going to have to get it back up to that level, you know, where, where it's good? Uh, so they just keep filling it, filling it, filling it, filling and filling. it. Now, there's lots of reasons for that, probably. Tip, other things like that. But in the ancient world, I, wanna, I want you to understand something here. In the ancient world, when this happened, this meant that the, that the host wanted you to stay. That's the ancient world. My cup overflows. Why? Because my, my, my host keeps filling it up. My cup is overflowing. Because at this table that I've been welcomed to, remember, the anointing, now this host wants me to stay. This host continues to keep the cup filled so that I will stay And spend time with this one. This this relates, in my thinking, to the generosity of God. That God is so generous that he wants me to stay. He wants you to stay. I have in my mind um, um, a picture, at least for some of us, that when we finally meet Jesus, in, in one sense I just have this picture in my mind. He's going to say to some of us, and I probably me, you know, I probably me. Man, I wish you would have known how much I cared for you. I really wish you had known more of how much I cared for you. You know, do you ever think about that? It's not. It's not a shaming thing. It's not a. You're in trouble. I. I just wish you would have known how much I really cared for you, to how, and how much I wanted you to be with me. Do you think any of us will hear that? I think some of us will. I think some of us carry deep within that nobody really wants to be with us. I've said to Becky before, and I'm being honest as I can be, and, who, you know, maybe that's not good. But I've said a couple of times, we have some really good friends here at the church, and God has been so good to us, and I'll say to them, I'll say to Becky, uh, they like her. I, I get that. And uh, I under, it's no no hard thing. I'll just say that. Beck, do you really think they like us? Do, do you really think they do? She goes, I know they like me. No. <laughs> She's no help. <clears throat> these are these conversations we have at the house, see. You ever thought that? You ever thought that about people? I, I said to her, I said, I, you know, I, these are just such wonderful people. They seem so together, and they seem to have life pretty well figured out. Do you think they really like us? Or are we going to find out someday they, they just are low on friends, and they got to fill it back up some other way? <laughs> and when their other friends show back up, Right? This friend, this friend keeps filling the cup and says, I, I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay here. I, I want you to feel welcome, Cliff. I, I want you to be here in this banquet with this table, with your head anointed with oil, and your cup keeps running over. I don't know. I, I just want to ask you, are, are you and I living in that provision Are we living in that reality that God is that good?